Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning. If your kids are going down to Children's Church, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody. If they're staying with us and there's activities on that back table, they're free to grab and there's sermon notes designed for them that they can use throughout the sermon. Uh, today, we are uh, once again turning our t- attention back to the book of Matthew and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we began our series on the Sermon on the Mount way back in January uh, when the warm days of spring were uh, just a dream, uh, and yet we've made it. And so we began in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is primarily talking to us. He's talking to us, his followers. And he's addressing many of the hypocritical attitudes and assumptions of the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And we're going to see once again, see those attitudes and those heart struggles addressed. So Jesus, when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, he's acquired a following, a a following of people that are excited about his power, his power to heal. They're excited about what he could possibly do for them. And he sits down on this mountain and he begins to teach. And he begins to teach some challenging and at times hard truths that call his followers and call us to deeper faith, to heart change, and to love God as our Lord and Savior. We've quoted this before, but I love how Daniel Doriani described the Sermon on the Mount. He said that among Jesus' teachings, the Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the most beloved, the best known, the least understood, and the hardest to obey. And today we come to one of those sections of Scripture. Today we come to those sections of scriptures that is beloved but hard to obey. And we come to a verse in Matthew 7, 1 that is one of the most quoted and most beloved verses in the Bible. Many in our culture and our world love to quote this verse, but their understanding of the context and of Jesus' teaching is non-existent. The world and we ourselves love to quote Matthew 1, which just simply says, do not judge. I remember as a child learning this verse and saying to cousins and to friends with a little bit of sass, don't judge me. But as I said, our world and our understanding of this verse is lacking and it is missing understanding. We quote this verse, the receiver, you cannot judge what I do. And in that we say everything that I do is okay. Everything I desire, everything I say, every lifestyle I live is okay. It is to be accepted and it is to be endorsed by you. But is that what Jesus is really saying here in Matthew chapter 7? Is he saying we aren't to judge others, judge their actions, use discernment in who we hang out with and who we help and who we trust our children to? J.D. Greer summed up this thought like he said, Judge not is one of the most popular verses in our culture because it seems to fit in with two of our culture's most basic assumptions. One, that religion is private, and two, that morality is relative, which means you can't really tell anybody that what they believe is wrong. Religion and morality have more to do with preference than right or wrong. They're like McDonald's versus Burger King. And so people pull out this verse like a deflective weapon whenever you say something or someone else that they like is wrong. But is that what Jesus is saying? Do not judge. Do not have wisdom. Do not have discernment. And without context, perhaps you could come to that conclusion. But as we will see in verse 6, Jesus calls us to discernment and judgment as he tells us not to give to dogs what is sacred and not to give pearls to swine. I'm pretty sure that if I were to call someone a dog or a pig, they would feel judged. And so how can these two statements go together? What is Jesus really trying to teach us? Once again, like all of the Sermon on the Mount, it is going to come down to our attitude, our our heart, and our humility. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and try to unpack this popular but often misunderstood passage of Scripture. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. We'll start in verse 1. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this chance to gather and to, to study your word. Uh, God, we thank you for the freedom we have to do that on this Memorial Day weekend. God, we pray that you would just speak through this passage of Scripture, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, God, and that you would help us to be a people that don't judge and condemn, but a people that love and point people to the hope that is available in you. So God, I pray that you would just help me to speak clearly, God, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear what it is you have for us today. And God, I pray if there's uh, anywhere where, where you call us to change, Lord, that we have the courage to trust it to you and, and follow after you uh, today. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, let me read verses 1 and 2 again as we start. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we love verse 1 when someone is giving us feedback we don't like, when someone is critical of us, when, someone, when we feel like we are being judged. But what does Jesus mean by this? Does he really mean you can't ever tell someone when they are wrong or you must embrace every action, lifestyle, sin because you are not to judge? Really, that simply cannot be the case because Jesus spent his whole ministry calling out sin and pointing people to the grace and love of God. In John 7, 7, Jesus says, The world hates me because I testify or I call out their works of evil. I am pretty sure if Jesus was interviewed on the news today and called out the actions of the world as evil, then those same people would quote Matthew 7, 1 back to him and accuse him of being judgmental. In Ephesians 5, 11, Paul calls us as followers of Jesus to rebuke the works of darkness. Right? That sounds pretty judgmental to me. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus sends the disciples out to the world with this message, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be sh as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Shrewd as snakes sounds like we are to be wise, we are to be discerning, and we are to make ju judgments based on the scriptures as we walk through the world. So what does Jesus mean here by do not judge? Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen two things. First of all, Jesus is talking to his followers, his disciples, he's talking to you and me. And then secondly, Jesus is primarily concerned about our hearts. So I don't believe Jesus is prohibiting us from calling sin, sin. Jesus did that. I don't believe Jesus is calling us to be unwise in our relationships and circumstances. We see that in verse 6. But I do believe Jesus is calling us not to be hypocritical in our judgment. And I do believe Jesus is calling us not to develop a harsh, critical, cynical, and judgmental spirit. So that's our first point. Do not judge others with a harsh, condemning, or critical spirit. I love how Max Anders sums this up in his commentary. He says, he writes, It is most important to understand that Jesus is not making a blanket prohibition against all judgment and discernment, but only against that which is done in self-centered pride. Self-centered pride, which leads us to look at others with a critical spirit that desires to judge them and tear them down. He writes, a good summary of this passage would be this. Do not judge others until you are prepared to be judged by the same standard. And then, when you exercise judgment towards others, do so with humility. We've seen that theme time and time in sermon, again in the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees and ourselves are all prone to view the world exclusively through the lens of self 
and through the lens of pride. Jesus is calling us to view others and to view the world through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of humility. When we walk in that manner, we are prone to show love and grace to others as opposed to condemnation. Romans 14.10 is kind of a parallel verse. Paul writes, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As people, we are so good at seeing the flaws in other people. We are so prone to be critical, to tear down, to judge others, to fail to give the benefit of the doubt. And that's the attitude that Jesus is prohibiting us from. J.C. Ryle captures this well. He says, what our Lord means to condemn is a fault-finding spirit, a readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference, a habit of passing rash and hasty judgment, a disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbor and make them make worst of them. That is what our Lord forbids. And then he adds, that was common amongst the Pharisees. And so Jesus, in this verse, does not prohibit us from making moral judgments. We must be able to discern right from wrong. We must teach and proclaim the truth of the Bible. But he does forbid us from having a critical, judgmental spirit that exalts yourself, and it is, uh, that exalts yourself while looking down on others. As Ryle says, that was common amongst the Pharisees, who Jesus was regularly addressing in this Sermon on the Mount. And it's an attitude that we are all prone to if we are not intentional. And it's an attitude that Jesus desired to keep out of his church, Yet it's the one that far too many churches are known for. So what are some signs that we have crossed from wisdom and discernment into a critical, condemning, and judgmental heart? One way we cross from discerning to judgmental is when we condemn the person as opposed to recognizing their situation and pointing them to Jesus. Here's what I mean. So not condemning does not mean not telling the truth. We've talked about it, but in our culture, to not judge and to love means embracing every decision, lifestyle, and sin. The Bible would tell us the opposite. The Bible would say that's not love, but that's hate. Because when we do that, we are celebrating people as they walk away from God into the gates of hell. So when we recognize sin, when we recognize someone does not have a relationship with Jesus, the loving response would be to pray for that person, befriend that person, love that person, shine the light of Jesus to that person, and share the hope of Jesus with that person. A condemning, a condemning judgmental heart is, is the Westboro Baptists who, who stand up and scream and tell other people that they are going to hell and that God hates them. Right? That's judging, not loving and pointing to hope. We do that when we see someone living in sin and we write them off instead of caring for them as a person. Because really the reality is that this is all of us. The Bible tells us we are all sinners destined for hell apart from Jesus. And aren't we so grateful that he didn't condemn us, but instead loved us and made a way forward? The Bible, the Gospels, Jesus, tell us the truth. The Bible doesn't say our sin was embraced, but it says our sin was not embraced. It was not celebrated. Instead, the Bible quite clearly tells us we are sinners, but then Jesus goes and makes us a friend, and he makes a way for us to be forgiven. So as Christians, our call is not to celebrate sin, but our call is to recognize the spiritual state of those around us and love them so much that we point them to Jesus as opposed to cutting them off and walking away. And that, that's our, our second point. We judge others when we cut off or condemn instead of pointing to Jesus. We see it right there in verses 1 and 2. God hasn't called us to be the judge of people's souls. That's not our responsibility, and we are not qualified. But there is a holy and perfect God who is completely fair and just, and he has it covered. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to point people to him, point people to the hope and forgiveness available in him. 
And when we cut off and condemn, we find ourselves slipping into the role of God. And that's not where we want to be. Fowler writes, but there's a reason God is judge and you're not. Because you're not qualified. You don't know the other person's history or background. You don't know the extenuating circumstances. You don't know how far they've come. And you don't know what they have ahead of them. Most of all, you don't know the person's motives. You can see their actions, but you can't see their heart. You're not the judge. And you are not qualified to be the judge. Only God can judge perfectly. So when you set yourself up as judge, you make yourself out to be better than other people. And that's the problem. First of all, you are not the judge. And secondly, when you do that, you fail to love as you've been called to love. You cannot love and judge at the same time. So uh, another telltale sign of a judgmental attitude is when we are far more concerned about the sin in others' lives than, we, than the sin in our own. That's our next point. We judge when we are more concerned about others' sin than our own. Jesus gives a very clear picture of this in verses 3 through 5 that, that illustrate this with uh, absurdity and the, the hypocrisy of this attitude. He says, he, Jesus is a carpenter, so that he would have known this illustration. He could have he grasped it and fit with it. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there's this plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Fowler writes, this is a marvelous illustration full of humor and wisdom that cuts to the point. The emphasis in these verses is on these two little words, your own. We are very good at judging others, but not so good at judging ourselves. It's been said that we are good judges for the mistakes of others, but good defense lawyers for our own mistakes. If you are quick to find faults in others, Jesus asks you, are you just as quick to find fault in yourself? Do you realize that you are very quick to find fault in others? That in itself is a great fault in you. We should know our own sin better than any others. And yet we like to excuse our sin and focus on others' sins and shortcomings in order to lift ourselves up. Notice here, Jesus doesn't forbid us from helping one another and from encouraging one another to overcome their sin. But instead he calls us, but instead he calls us to help one another only after we have dealt with our own sin. And when we do this, we are at least acknowledging that we too are sinners in need of grace, in need of forgiveness. And when we recognize this, we show a lot more grace, compassion, and love towards others. The problem is there are many like the Pharisees who look for others' shortcomings and sins in order to make them feel better about their shortcomings or to justify their own sins. Jesus says clearly that is hypocritical and that is an attitude that leads us to condemn, to gossip, and to judge others in order to lift ourselves up and excuse ourselves. That's the attitude that Jesus is forbidding and calls us to avoid. I love what Max Anders in the Holman commentary said. He said, our habitual response to scriptures must be this. We must say, what is this saying about me rather than what about others? How different would our relationships be look if we were more concerned about the scriptures application to my sin as opposed to the scriptures application to other sins and shortcomings? We are so good at seeing others' weaknesses, but we tend to gloss over our own. This applies to the, the scripture as well as the teaching of the scripture. I know, I know people have good intentions, but I'm always a little taken aback when someone comes up to talk to me after a message. And they tell me how great that message would be for someone else. Right? The sermon may indeed be great for someone else. But I always want to ask, well, how about you? 
We must be people that apply the words to ourselves first and then share that hope with others. That's why at Small Group, which is on summer break right now, we always seek to apply the scriptures to our lives as opposed to our spouse, child, or neighbor's lives. And this applies both to sin in our life as well as the grace and the gospel and the forgiveness. We all need to be reminded and to apply the gospel to our lives week after week. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, reminds us of who we were apart from God. It reminds us that we are all sinners by nature, that we have been forgiven by grace, and that we are loved beyond measure. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. I need to be reminded of that daily. And as I'm reminded of that, I am better able to love, forgive, and show grace to others. I can't do those things on my own, but only after I'm reminded of the love of my Savior. That reminds you of the, the, the famous quote attributed to D.C. Niles. He said, we are never more than poor beggars telling other poor beggars where there is bread. When we stop applying the scripture and the gospel to our lives first, we become like the Pharisees who begin to believe the lie that they are better than others. That they have somehow earned God's approval. When the reality is we are nothing apart from the gospel. We are nothing apart from Jesus. We are people in need sharing with other people in need where hope and forgiveness can be found. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be humble, loving, grace-filled, and quick to forgive. When we stop applying the scripture to ourselves and our sin, we are quick to become prideful and judgmental towards others. So the greatest way we can keep from being judgmental is by applying the scriptures first to our life and to our sin. That's our next point. Apply the scriptures first to our lives and our sin. As we said, when we apply the scriptures to our lives, it brings perspective. It reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of the love, grace, compassion, and forgiveness we have been shown. And it should lead us to love others likewise. When we first apply the scriptures to ourselves, it breaks us of our critical and judgmental spirit because we see our own need for grace and our desire not to be judged. When we first apply the scriptures to ourselves, it breaks us of our pride and puts us in a place where we can help others and point them to Jesus. Because that's the goal of this illustration. We are first to apply the scriptures to our lives, to our sin, and then we are to help others by pointing them to the Savior. If we love others, we will want to point them to the hope we have, to Jesus. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's God's job to, to judge, and it is my job to love. Your friends, your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't need your judgment and condemnation. They need Jesus. And that's our job, to point people to him. All right, let's look at verse 6 and this final illustration that Jesus gives us. Jesus says, do not give the dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So real quickly, let's try to get a, a, a cultural understanding of this illustration. Now, now, it's not a compliment to be called a dog in our society, but we still miss it because dogs are a part of our family today. We love our dogs. But in Jesus' day, dogs were scavengers. Dogs were not pets. They were more like a possum or a raccoon. They were unwanted annoyances that scavenged the streets. Jesus speaks of a type of person who is like a dog in the sense that they are like scavengers who don't really value what is holy. Right? They are just as happy with a meal from a garbage can as they are a fine steak from a steakhouse. And pigs were unclean to the Jewish people. They were also scavengers. They eat slop. They eat anything put before them. They have no discernment, and you certainly wouldn't trust them for determining what is valuable and what is not. And so we have these two types of animals who value slop and have absolutely no need or value for something like pearls. 
right? They would rather have rotten peels from the garbage than pearls. And so Jesus is presenting this idea of not wasting what is valuable before those who don't appreciate it. We're not to give what is holy to dogs, and we're not to throw pearls before pigs, right? Those things will be destroyed. And he says we can even get hurt or trampled upon in the process. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives a similar illustration as he sends out the 72 to, to share about the kingdom with the world. He tells them that the harvest is plentiful. He tells them as they enter a town to look for people of peace, to look for people who are eager to receive and to hear of, hear of God. And he says, but those people share freely the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God. But he says, anyone who doesn't welcome you, if anyone is hostile, he says, shake it off and move on to the next town. He says, don't waste your time arguing, but move on and look for the places where God is moving. And this is the instruction that Jesus is giving us in this illustration. The thing that is holy, the thing that is of great value is the gospel. It is forgiveness, it is for the forgiveness in life offered through Jesus. And in this illustration, Jesus is saying, be discerning. Look for where God is moving and go there and share the hope of Jesus, share the gospel. There are people in this world who are hostile towards the gospel. They hate the things of God, and they're not yet ready to hear and receive the good news of Jesus. Jesus is saying, don't spend all of your time arguing, debating, and, and trying to convince them of the gospel. But instead, shake it off. Every time I read that, I, I think of Taylor Swift. Shake it off and look for those that are ready. Sorry, it's in here like three times. Now, this does not mean you condemn that person. We talked about this. That does not mean you cut them off from your life. But in wisdom, you discern this is not the time. They are not ready to receive and trust Jesus with their life. And in wisdom, you treat them with respect and you move on. There are times when you try and force the gospel on someone who is not ready. And in that, you can do more harm than good. Jesus says when that's the case, just shake it off and move on. When someone continuously rejects the, the gospel, it's time to move on. You can continue to pray for them. If they're a friend, you can continue to be their friend and love them. But don't continually engage them with the gospel. Pray for the Holy Spirit to move in their life. Show them Jesus' love and compassion. Shine the light into their life and wait for the right time for God to open the door to share. Don't shove the gospel down the throat, but instead wait for God to open the door. I love what William Barclay writes. He says this, It is often impossible to talk to some people about Jesus. Their insensitivity, their moral blindness, their intellectual pride, and cynical mockery may make them impervious to the words about Jesus. But he says, but it is always possible to show men Christ. And the weakness of the church lies not in the lack of Christian arguments, but in the lack of Christian lives. Jesus says, do not offer the things of God to people who show contempt for the things of God. Love them. Pray for them. Live out your Christian witness before them, but don't engage those who treat the gospel with contempt. So that's our final point. Pray, love, and serve those around you, and then look for God to move. Look for God to open the door. One of the greatest things about time and perspective is the opportunity to look back and see how God has moved in your own life as well as in the life of others. And I am so thankful for the grace and patience that God has shown me as he has worked in my life. And some of my most favorite and some of my most powerful stories of salvation, those lives that God has transformed from hostile and hard to receptive and loving of the gospel. As followers of Jesus, we must all remember that we were once dogs and swine when it came to the gospel. 
Some of us were hostile while others indifferent. And yet God in his grace has made a way and opened our eyes to the need. So we must be discerning when it comes to sharing, but always in prayer and always expecting God to move. Our God is a great God, and he is in the life-changing business. It is my prayer that God would continue to transform the lives of many in our community, in our families, in our friend groups. And it is my prayer that God would bless our prayers as we pray for those around us. That he would give us opportunities to shine his light, and that he may even afford us the opportunity to share his hope with those we love. As followers of Jesus, we have been forgiven. We have been loved. We have been shown grace when we didn't deserve it. In the same way, may we be a people that first apply the scriptures to our life and then show that same love, care, compassion, grace, and forgiveness to others. May we be a people that are quick to compassion and slow to a critical and judgmental spirit. May we be a people that pray for God's movement and shine his light as opposed to condemning and writing others off. Because we are so grateful that God didn't condemn or write us off. So as we begin to wrap up and reflect, where is God calling you to evaluate your life this morning? Maybe for you, he is calling you to the gospel for the first time. Maybe he is working in your life and you've had a friend that has been investing in you and loving you. He is working in your life and, and revealing your need for forgiveness. If that's you. Maybe you need to come and talk to me or talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus and experience his forgiveness for the first time. Maybe you're here and you are someone that, that, that is very good at applying the scriptures to others. Today you need to apply the scriptures to your life. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you need to address and, and you need to apply the scriptures guidance to it. Maybe you just simply need to be reminded of the gospel in your life. Be reminded of who you were before Jesus and of the, of the grace and forgiveness you have been given. To be reminded of the promise of heaven you have. And in that, show that same love and grace and compassion to someone else. Maybe you're someone that's prone to judgment, to focus on other sins as opposed to your own. If you, that's you and you know that's you, would you repent from that attitude? And would you give thanks for the forgiveness you have had? And then make it a point this week to real practically show love and grace to someone you have in the past shown judgment to. And all of us, we have people in our lives that we need to be praying for. They might not be ready to hear the gospel or receive the gospel, but we can be praying for them. Praying that God would move in their lives. Praying that God that would call them to him. Praying that God would open their eyes. Praying for an opportunity to share. Who are those people? Would you write them down and start praying for them this week? Right? Maybe today they're hostile to the gospel. But pray that God would soften their heart. Pray for them to, to God, to work in their lives, and they might come to the point where they accept Jesus and experience his forgiveness and grace. So would you pray for them this week? Would you write those names down? Just the next couple of minutes, I'm going to pray for us. As I pray for us, I would ask you to bow your heads and just pray as well, and just ask God where it is he is calling you to not judge, but to apply the scriptures to your life and to trust him uh, in your life. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for this passage of scripture. God, we thank you that, that you didn't condemn us. God, that you didn't write us off in our sin. But instead, God, that you made us a friend and you made a way for us to be forgiven. So God, I pray that as we leave today, Lord, that we would be reminded of the salvation in our own life. That we would be reminded of the forgiveness and the grace and compassion and love you have shown us. And God, I pray that you would make that real to us, Lord, and so much so that we would show that same grace love and compassion this week. God, that we would have wisdom as we 
look at our relationships and our friends, Lord, and that we would show those around us the love and grace of God. They might know who you are by the way we act and by the way we love and care for them. God, I pray you put people in our hearts and our minds that we can begin praying for. God, we pray that as we pray for these people, Lord, that you would work in their lives, that you would open their eyes to their need for forgiveness, that you would open their eyes to their sin, and that they would open their eyes, uh, God, so that they wouldn't, they wouldn't see the, the gospel as mockery, but they would see it as something that is beloved. So, God, we pray that you would move in our friends and our families' lives, that you would move in our community, that you would draw many to you, that many might find the hope uh, that we have found in you. God, I pray if there's any of us here, Lord, that we are, we're really good at seeing the sins of others. We're really good at judging others. God, that you would help us to see that plank in our own eye. That you would make us aware of where we are, 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 are judging and where we are, are missing our call. God, I pray that as you make us aware, Lord, that we would repent of that attitude, Lord, and that we would trust it to you. And God, that you would work in our lives so that we can be a people that are of love and grace and compassion. A people that, that, that don't judge but, and don't condemn. God, but a people that point those around us to you. To you where only in you hope can be found. So God, I pray that as we, uh, as, we, as we pray here and as we leave, Lord, that you would speak to us through this passage of Scripture. God, that you would call us to heart change and to deeper faith. And God, that we may be better ambassadors of your name to the world around us. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, thank you so much for being here uh, this morning. We've got just a couple of announcements, and then we'll let you go. Uh, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the vicinity of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing that in the wood box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. That's also you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Um, and in terms of announcements, um, the one change is small group Bible study has wrapped up for the summer. We'll return in the fall. Uh, we got children's camp and youth camp on Casper Mountain. We talked about that. All the announcements are on the back of your sermon notes. Uh, if you've got questions about those, let me know. Uh, we got VBS coming up uh, end of July and the first week of August. So if you have questions about anything, come and let me know. Otherwise, thank you so much for being here this week. Uh, we hope and pray you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week. Enjoy your Memorial Day and enjoy your freedom from school kids. Um, we hope you have a great